Today, we're preaching, uh, this third week, we're preaching on the bully of dysfunction. Where are my dysfunctional people at in the room? Raise your hand. Where's the dysfunction? No, actually, see, it's actually all of you. And your first dysfunction is that you didn't raise your hand. You're a liar. That's one of your dysfunctions. But I'm letting you off the hook to know this. Guess what? We're all dysfunctional. We're all faced with this bully of dysfunction because we live in a fallen world. We see all the way back in Genesis, the scripture says that God made paradise for Adam and Eve. It was heaven. They had paradise and they made a super dysfunctional choice. Tom, you know, eat of the apple. And then from there, we saw that the world was fallen. And so you're always battling this bully of dysfunction. Now, some of you might be in the room and be like, you know, I don't care, man. It's just me. It's who I am. You got to learn to live with it. That's a bad philosophy. That's a bad way to live because the problem with our dysfunction is if we don't get it healed and we don't get it restored and we don't get it lined up with the ways and the word of God, then it's something that we actually hand down to the next generation. Someone might say, this has been in my family my whole time. Well, that doesn't have to be your story. I believe we can defeat the bully of dysfunction. Are you with me? Uh, I don't want you to come here today and be like, oh man, we're at a church where the pastor's gonna get up and say, we can't have any dysfunction, we can't be messed up. It's actually the opposite of that. If you remember last week, I said, hey, this place is a hospital, not a courtroom. We're not here to judge you, we're here to journey with you. You're in a room full of dysfunctional, messed up people who are trying to go to the one perfect God. We're trying to just get it figured out with the one who we call the way, the truth, and life. Are you with me today? But dysfunction is a real part of life. And I think it's something that we got to take serious. We say, hey, we, we want to we walk in the plans of God, the purposes of God. We want the function of God. But we have to learn to get over some of these dysfunctions. I wrote it down this way. You'll never thrive in the purpose or function that God has for you until you learn to deal with the dysfunction the enemy has dealt you. Yeah. As I just mentioned a minute ago, some of it comes generationally. Some of it is situationally. Some of it is just things that have happened to you or around you. But we have to be a people who say, hey, I want the plans and the purposes and the function of God. And in order to do that, I got to learn to deal with the dysfunction that's around me. I thought about it this way. Uh, People who think they don't have any issues are the people who have the most issues. No, Pastor, I'm good. I got, I got nothing. I got nothing going on. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing good. I got nothing going on. And every, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. I'm doing so good. All of a sudden, two years later, everything falls apart. The volcano happens. And they come to me and say, well, Pastor, I got to tell you, that these last three years have just been, I said, I thought you said you were good. It's okay to deal with our dysfunction. I have a child who that's how she picks up her room. She hides everything under the rug, if you will. Some of us do that with our dysfunction. No, everything's good. We're really just sweeping it. So I say, hey, kids, I go down and I check out the room. Everything's all in a mess. And I say, all right, guys, go straighten up your rooms. Get everything ready. And so they go straighten the room. All of a sudden, a minute later, here comes, I'm not going to say who it is, but she's almost 11. And, um, <laughs> and so I come down in her room. And I'm like, wow, how in the world did you clean all this up in like a minute? This thing was hit. She's like, yeah, I got it all cleaned up. I said, so you don't mind if I look in this closet, right? No, dad. What about this drawer over here? What about under your bed? She has said everything's good, but really she's just shoved it away in a place that people can't see. We can't do that with our dysfunction. This is the place where we can come to our father. We can come to the throne and say, hey, I got this stuff and I need you to help me out with it. Amen. Uh, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings 5.1. We'll read it here in a minute. Uh, but it's the story of Naaman. Many of you know the story of Naaman. He's the one who has leprosy and he goes down to the river and he's called to dip seven times. Now, he's a very honorable man. 
Uh, he's honored by God. He's honored by the men in his life. He's somebody who's really kind of got it all put together. He would have um, led and served in this uh, town of Aram, which we know is like modern day Syria. Syria is what it would be now. And so we know of this notable, this honorable man, but he had a dysfunction in his life. He had something out of order in his life. We find it Second Kings 5.1. It says, now Naaman was a commander of the army, the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was, so, he was a valiant soldier. And then it says, but he had leprosy. All this stuff going for him. Everything was on the right track, but this thing was out of function for him. This thing wasn't in order. And I think that's all our lives. Many of you got a ton of good things going for you. You got a whole bunch of things happening for you. But if we're being honest, we also have this one thing, this but, this thing over here. Uh, I thought about it. It's like when you meet somebody. Like, oh, this is looking good. Maybe you meet this guy, you meet this girl, and you're like, man, everything is going good. He checks out real good. She checks out real good. I mean, everything's looking really good. And so you go to that first dinner. Boy, everything's looking good. This is good. We go to the first dinner and you sit down and he orders pineapple on his pizza. <laughs> Everything was good, but oh no, it's not good. Or, or maybe you finally score that number. You get that phone number and you're like, all right, perfect. Everything's going so good. I'm going to text him. And so you get that phone, you put that number in there and you text him and that text box comes back green and not blue. <laughs> like, oh, this isn't good. Gross. It's an Android person. I can't go forward with this. Everything was good, but oh, now this. Or you, you find somebody, everything checks out good. Every, the family looks good, everything looks normal, everything looks good, and then all of a sudden you find out, oh, but this isn't good. Their favorite team plays in Lansing. Gross, oh, this isn't good. Or lastly, man, this girl's great. I think I could marry her. Everything is good about her. So she finally invites you over and you get to her house and you go in and you get inside and she's got cats, like a bunch of cats. Like this is, this is not good. See what you got. Cause people know I'm a cat person now. I have a cat in the garage. It doesn't come in the house. It's the cutest cat in the whole church. Out of all your cats, my cat is the cutest for sure. But that's how you know we're living in the last days. People will call what's evil good. That's happening in my life. But everything was looking good. And then, oh, but this, but this thing is out of order. Scripture says that Naaman's wife has a servant who's actually a believer. You know, much of the scripture is actually uh, a story or us following the Israelites. The people of God were following that. But every once in a while, you'll get a story that's outside of Israelites. And that's what we see here. There is this believer who gets brought into Naaman's life. And this servant girl has faith in God. She has trust in the prophet. And so in verse three, she says to her, Mistress, she says to Naaman, uh, she says, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Now, the prophet that she's speaking of is Elisha. We know Elisha is the double prophet, uh, the, the double portion prophet. We know Elijah, and then we know the one who prayed for a double portion is Elisha. This is who she's speaking of. She says, if only, if only he could take his dysfunction before the Lord. I know he's got all this stuff. He's so honorable. He's got all these things going for him. If, if only he could just take this thing that's out of order, this bully of dysfunction in his life and bring it before the Lord. Verse 10, it says, Elisha sent a messenger to him a little bit later in the story and said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. 
But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Verse 12, are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. One of the ways that he found himself in a high level of dysfunction is he thought to himself, I thought, but I thought in my mind, many times we get before God and God starts moving and starts doing things and, and, and we think, uh, why isn't God doing it this way? I thought God should do this. Yeah. And this is one of the problems he had here. I have three points for you out of this story about how we can defeat the bullies of dysfunction. Point number one is this. We must be submitted to God. To defeat the bullies of dysfunction in our life, we must be submitted to God. I wrote it down this way. You'll never live your life your way and get God's results culture say, you do you, man, you do you, you figure it out, you carve your own path, self-made man, you do you. No, no, that's not God's way. You'll never live your life your way and get God's results. I wrote it down like this. If you want God's results, you need to do it God's way. How many times in our life have we thought just like Naaman, well, why isn't he this? I thought God was this. And we're calculating it through all of our understanding. That's why the scripture, Isaiah 55, eight through nine says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. He has a better perspective. Verse nine, it says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. They're higher, they're better. They have better perspective. How many of you have ever had your kids like really want something? They like really want a toy. And because your thoughts are higher and your ways are better and you can see it from a better perspective, you're like, oh, no, buddy, you're not getting one of those. It'd be a disaster for you if we gave you one of those. I remember when our youngest, who's our crazy one, she's our party one, she was really wanting her own yo-yo. And I was like, hey, from my perspective and my thoughts and my ways are higher, I'm not going to give you a yo-yo for the sake of my kneecaps and the things around our, our drywall. I can, it, it wouldn't be good if you had that, not to mention you wouldn't know how to make it function. There's just times in our life where we say, God, but I really want this. And God's like, no, from my perspective, that's not good for you. Yeah. But God, why don't you just give me that promotion? And why couldn't I have just hit that Powerball? And he's like, because from my way. It's better. If you do hit that Powerball, <laughs> just kidding. There's a tithe and a pastor appreciation. There's two things on that. So, <laughs> But God has this perspective and we have to be submitted to this. That, oh, I wish it went like this. Remember he said, I wish you would just wave your hand. I wish you would do this thing. But I'm submitted in this understanding that God's ways, his thoughts, his patterns are better. Oh, I wish I could just overcome my dysfunction with this and this and that. But overcoming my dysfunction is being somebody who's submitted to God's ways. I wrote it down like this. Victory starts at the moment of submission. You want victory in your life? Victory doesn't begin until you first say, okay, God, your way, not my way. Your plans, not my plans. Are you with me today? Proverbs 14, 11 says this, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the godly will flourish. Yeah. What is the tent of the godly? The tent of the godly is the house that is submitted to God in his ways. 
Not you do you, not self-made man. It's a house that we say, hey, God, this is a place that I'm building and it's in submission to you. Verse 12, there is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end ends in death. Yesterday, I was building some shelves and I had the kids with me. Charlie was watching a football game and Callie, our youngest, the party one, she's trying to help me. She's trying to help me with everything. And I had three shelves to build and um, they're the kind that are like rod pipe, you know, they're the, the iron pipe and you gotta twist them all together. So we go like shelf, more piping shelf. And it's like eight shelves. And I had three of those to build. And so I built the first one. So then, you know, she could see it and she's like, dad, I wanna help you. And I said, okay, honey, here's what we gotta do. We gotta, and she said, no, I saw what you did. And so she's got all the parts over there and she's twisting them all together. And she was operating in a way that seemed right to her. She wasn't submitted to the way that it's supposed to be. She's operating in a way that seems right to her, but she had no regard for the way that it was actually supposed to be. I'm grateful that God has given us his word and his plan and the way that it's actually supposed to go. Right? So she had a way that seemed right to her, but can I tell you what happened at the end of her project? It didn't, it was death. It seemed right to her, but it wasn't successful. And so she's building and she's putting things together and she's building, she's putting things together. And all of a sudden she gets to the end of it and she looks at mine and she looks at hers that are all messed up and she ran out of parts. And she's like, um, dad, I don't think I did it right. <laughs> no, you didn't do it right. And then you know what else had to happen to me? I had to go take apart all that she tried to do on her own. I had to go undo. Are you with me? Yeah. I had to take it all apart. Some of you, you've been doing it your own way. You've been walking in your own dysfunction and you've been defending it. No, I can do this. I don't need the instructions. I was doing the same thing though. I don't need the instructions. But building, you're building, you're doing it your own way. You're doing it the world's way. You're doing it, the whole world's doing it right now. I'll do it my own way. So, man, I'll do it my own way. And they get to the end and they go, uh-oh, I don't think I did it right. Unsubmitted to the plans that God has. Unsubmitted to the purposes that God has for life. And then what we had to do was take the time to undo it all. And this is where a lot of Christians miss it. Hey, hey, you, you built wrong. Now it's time to undo it. And you go, oh, I'm not, I'm not submitting to that. I'm not submitting to the counseling in the, the time that it's going to take to take all this apart and put it back together. Can I tell the truth in here today? Oh, that's too much work to get it back fixed. How many know what I'm talking about? He said this. Scripture says he left in a rage because he was just hoping that the man of God would just wave his hand over their life and, and everything would be better. It's kind of like how American Christians come to church for one hour every other week, and they just hope that by coming to church, somehow God's going to wave his hand over their life and bless them. Oh, but you don't understand. I came to church for one hour every other week, and Cody sang over me, and I just thought that all the spots would go away in my life. That's not submission. But I came in to church and, and I just thought that God's blessing would wave over me, but I didn't manage my finances ways and I didn't put him first and I didn't steward well. So I don't understand why God's not blessing me. Can I tell the truth today? I thought that by just, you know, he'd wave his hand over it. I thought that if we, you know, dedicated our children at the child dedication service, but we weren't a good example to them and we didn't make church a priority and we didn't pray with them and we didn't speak over them. I thought that just waving the hand over them on child dedication, getting a little sprinkle would, would cause them to grow up in the ways. I mean, you know what I'm talking about today. It's just, I just, we fall into the same thing. And we go over here and we go like, I just don't understand why God's not fixing this country. I just don't understand how all this is happening in America and the things that are happening in our school. And I just don't know why God isn't moving. God isn't fixing things. Well, maybe because only 10% of the church shows up at the Saturday morning prayer meeting. 
God's promise was that, hey, if we come to him and we pray and we repent of our ways, then he'll heal our land. He says, you have not because you ask not. I was hoping that, you know, God would just wave his hand over America and fix everything for us. You guys want me to move on? I'll move on. It's okay. I understand. A submitted person is somebody who lines up with the call that we see in the gospel, which is be someone who dies to yourself. That's submission. Takes up your cross and follows him. You know, we've made this term follow me too easy. Like, oh, this is a new restaurant. Click follow. That's what following is. It's like, I'm going to just follow that. No, following was like, oh, I'm giving myself to this Messiah. I'm giving myself to this Savior. And I'm going to do all that it takes to follow him. To do it like he does it. And to live according to the way that he's doing it. How many know what I'm talking about today? So Naaman's servant, the scripture says that Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, Naaman's servant show up to him and they say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So I love that the servant here has got people in his life or that Naaman has servants in his life that come up to him and go, hey, um, question for you. Um, that's pretty weird that you are so upset about just going and dipping in the river. Like if, if he would have asked you to do something great, wouldn't you have done something great? Like what's the big deal with just going and dipping? It's important to see that Naaman had people in his life that could ask him good questions. Yeah. Point number two is this. You must surround yourself with people of faith. You have to have the right voices in your life. Some of you right now are saying, oh my gosh, is he talking about community again? We just did a whole series on community and he talked about how we got to have people in our corner. I'm sick of hearing about community. No, I'm here to talk about community again. Because right now the world is working so hard. The enemy is working so hard at keeping you into two things, distracted by entertainment and isolated. If I can just keep you so entertained, you won't have people in your life. You won't have faith people in your life. You can just be entertained and Netflix never ends and you can always find another show. Why don't you just stay so entertained or why don't you just do everything by yourself? Just be in isolation. You don't got to connect down anything. Do everything online. How many know what I'm talking about today? So we're going to continue to talk about community. You have to have the right voices in your life. We see that when it was time for the people to enter into the promised land, the scripture says that 12 spies went there to survey the promised land. The scripture says that uh, 10 of the spies came back and said, oh, the giants are huge. They're huge. We can't go in there. We can't take out those giants. And millions of people were deceived because of the report that these guys gave. But Joshua and Caleb, we went and said, those giants are so big, they're too big to even miss. We can hit them. We can get them. It's important to have the right people in your life. I wrote it down this way. You'll never walk into the right future with the wrong friends. You'll never walk into the right future with the wrong friends. Teenagers, let me tell you something. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You got a bunch of rebellious, just party, don't care, uh, don't, don't have honor for others, don't respect. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, you're going to follow them right into that same kind of lifestyle. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Proverbs 13, 20 says it this way. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Let's be honest. Fools are pretty fun to have as friends though, right? No, nobody in here. Maybe I'm the foolish friend then, (laughs) but come on. It's high school. It's college. Let's just get some fools together and go have some fun. But the reality about that is you build a lifestyle like that and you're going to suffer harm. How many of you 
that the story goes like, oh man, they were doing so good and they were doing so good until they started running with that crowd. Man, they just got caught up in the wrong crowd. That's what the scripture is telling us. Companion of fools. It's the same thing as you grow up and, and become an intelligent adult. You get people in your life that try to justify compromises for you. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. And you get in a companion of fools. What does faith-filled friends look like? I think one of the things you can see a faith-filled friend is, is they're an encourager. Man, it's easy to talk about negativity now, right? Every news story is negative. Every, everything is ne- negative. Everything is dramatic. And I, I, need a, I need a break from the dramatic, right? I don't know how you guys watch all these dramatic shows. You finally get done with work, finally you put the kids to bed, and then you're like, all right, let's watch a show. And you turn on like, this is us. And it's dramatic and like intense and like makes you more upset about your life. Is that still a show? That's still, no, okay. Some of you, you just keep doing it to yourself. It's so dramatic and intense. You're like, all right, I got some time. I'm gonna watch Michigan State. And it's suffering and you know, like, oh. But encouraging, we, we need to be a people in this time, in this hour that we live in where you call somebody up, you text somebody up and it's encouraging. Are you with me today? You're speaking life over one another. Faith-filled friends are like, you're doing an amazing job. Keep it up. Don't quit. Are you with me today? A faith-filled person checks on you. A good faith-filled person is someone who checks on you. Hey, man, how you doing? It's been a minute. Are you doing good with everything? Is the marriage good? Are you doing good? Where are you at in your headspace? How are you doing? Can I check on you and make sure that you're good? That's what a good faith-filled person does. Another thing that I think a good faith-filled person does is a faith-filled person challenges you. Do you know that's what the servants did? He had faith-filled people in his life, and so the servants went up to him and said, Hey, um, Naaman, uh, can I challenge you on something? It seems a little crazy that you're so upset that all he asked you to do was go dip in a river seven times. What's going on here? Where's all the rage coming from? What are you so angry about? What's all this upset about? Can I, can I challenge you on something here? And he, because he had a faith-filled friend in his life, he got his miracle, thank God, because the servant said, hey, can I challenge you on something? You need people in your life who are going to challenge you. Yeah. I think you need people in your life that are going to challenge you and say things to you like, uh, hey, see you at Saturday prayer. Right. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going hey, to see you at Saturday prayer. Hey, see you at men's breakfast. Hey, how you doing today? Hey, make sure I'm going to see you at Dudes and Donuts. Hey, what's up? Love you. Encouraging you. Make sure I'm going to see you at ladies. I'm going to see you at worship night because, I mean, why would you miss a night where we can come in and worship with all the crazy that's going on in the world where we can come in together as brother and sister and lift up his name high? Are you with me? People who challenge you, I think, is important to have as a faith-filled friend. You also need somebody who listens. This is a rarity in the day that we live in where you can actually get a word in that isn't like competition with one another, where you just sit down with somebody and they listen man, I'm really going through some stuff. And someone says, tell me about it. I want to hear about that. You know what I'm talking about? Get some people in your life that can actually listen to you. We got too many people gossiping to each other. You just get together and just, I cannot believe the amount of gossip that happens in the church. And of course we do it under the name of like praying for you, praying for you. Can I tell you something? If somebody talks that much about somebody else to you, then they're talking to somebody else that much about you. Does that make sense? If somebody's gossiping and talking that much about somebody else to you, then I guarantee they're talking to somebody else that much about you. Let's be a people who believe life and death is in the power of our tongue and speak right over each other. Amen. Amen. It's one of the ways we overcome dysfunction. And this is my last one in this thought. We need to be a people who celebrate each other. This is hard in the Dutch West Michigan culture. You know that scripture says in Romans that we're supposed to rejoice with one another. 
Rejoice as someone else is rejoicing, which means this. When someone says, yeah, we're going on vacation, you don't go, oh, wow, another vacation must be nice. You go, oh, that's awesome. You guys deserve that. I hope you enjoy it. Hope you make a ton of memories. Hope you don't sit by some weirdo on the plane. That's going to be an amazing trip. You do that. I also think someone gets a new car. Like, oh, really? Another new car? Oh, must be nice. Must be. No, you go, amazing. You guys deserve that. Oh, wow. Show me the features. I want to see what you got in that new car. And it's okay if you can be like, should have bought a Ford. Should have got a Chevy. But it's fine. You know, the scripture says that we're to outdo each other in honor. Dude, I honor that you have that opportunity. I hope that you get to do that in life. Are you with me today? That's a good faith-filled friend, someone who can be encouraging. Scripture says that Naaman was upset, right? So the scripture says he's upset. In verse 14, it says, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God told him to do. And it says, As his flesh, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Goes down to the river, dips seven times. Scripture says that his skin is restored to that of a young boy. It's the first time you see biblical Botox. Okay, we see it right here in scripture. God is for that. He's for that. You just got to be careful with all the plastic surgery stuff you do because it gets tricky when you get to heaven. You get a lot of plastic surgery here on earth and the problem is none of that goes with you to heaven. It's got to stay here on earth. It's carnal. So problem is when you get up to heaven, we recognize your voice, but then when you come up to us, like, oh my God, who are you? Like, so I'm just, that's a warning for you there. Hey, you're thinking of people in your mind right now. <laughs> Scripture says this. It says, remember, he was upset about the water. Remember, he was all upset about the water. He goes, wait a minute. Why am I going to go dip seven times in the Jordan River? He says, the Damascus, and Damascus back at home, he said, I could go do this by myself. And the water in Damascus is a much cleaner, purer water. If you've ever had a friend or followed a church that a bunch of the group went down and they got baptized in the Jordan River, you would see that that water is like really brown. It's a really orange, brown. There's no clarity to it. And in the Jordan River, it's a very messy, dirty water. It's a very muddy water. But he says, back home, I got clean water. I got good water. Why don't I just go back home and do it? But what's interesting is in Naaman's mind, the water was muddy. In Elisha's mind, the Jordan River was miraculous because he saw the Jordan River split. He also saw in the Jordan River was the same place that the ax head fell off and floated and didn't sink. So one thought the water was muddy. The other thought it was miraculous. He said, I could just go do this at home. Could just go do this in my own space. But he's like, no, no, no. It's better if you do it here despite its muddiness. Right now, a bunch of people are saying, church. Why would I go to church? I could just do that at home. Right. I could just podcast this. It'd be a lot cleaner if I did it in my own space. I wouldn't have to be around all the weird people. I could just go do this in my own space. But I see in this room, yes, it's muddy, but it's also miraculous. Yes, the church is full of messy stories and messy people and messy situations, but it's also a room full of miracles. Are you with me today? And so he leaned into that. Point number three, my last point is this, to defeat the dysfunction the bully of dysfunction, we must be a people who stay obedient. Stay obedient. Think about it. He probably went down to this muddy water, takes his first dip, looks and goes, see, see, look at now I'm just dirtier. I'm not better. Now I'm just dirtier. Dips the second time. Oh, nothing's different. How many of you prayed one time or two times and nothing happened? And so you just quit at three. 
Scripture said, no, you just go down and you dip seven times. Stay faithful until you see the miracle. Many people say, well, pastor, I tried to serve one time and then they, they hurt me. Well, maybe it was that second time that you would have served and you would have found your purpose. Well, pastor, I tried believing and praying for my husband and for my kids that are far from God. I tried to do that for a whole year and nothing changed. Well, maybe if you went a whole nother year, that's when the miracle would have happened. We stay obedient. We stay connected. Well, pastor, I tried to tithe one time and I tried to pray that one time and nothing happened. Well, then you try it again because we believe and we're obedient and we're submitted. James 1 says this in verse 23. Says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. Someone who consistently and keeps on and keeps on with what God has given them and shown them. Here's the reality. Information doesn't change you. Application of information changes you. Saying, okay, God, I'm going to continue to be obedient. I'm going to continue to apply these truths so that I can break through this dysfunction. I'll close with this. I imagine Naaman's in the water and he dips and he comes up and he's like, I'm the same. I'm the same here. I I, I can't, it's not change. I can't change the outcome. All he was responsible for doing was being obedient to the man of God, to the call of God. I wrote it down this way. We don't focus on the outcome, focus on our obedience. My job is obedience. God's job is the outcome. Your job is obedience. God's job is the outcome. Galatians 6, 7 says it this way. You know the scripture. Do not be deceived for God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say if we just keep being obedient and sowing the seed that God called us to sow, his job is to bring the harvest. His job is to bring about what he promises he'll bring about. God is not mocked. If he called you something, you stay faithful in that. You stay obedient in that. And God will see that through. Are you with me? Jesus modeled this for us in my last thought right here. Jesus modeled this for us. If you remember... He's in the garden and he's about to go to the cross and be crucified and he's in the garden and he is just in anguish, right? The scripture says that he's praying, but he's not just sweating. He's just sweating blood. And he says the same thing that we would feel at times. He says up to God, right? He's praying and he says like, if there's any other way, if there's any other way than this obedient act that you're calling me to do, going to the cross, if there's any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, can we do it another way? And then he says, what this? Then he, then he says this, but not my will, but your will. He models for us like, I don't like this. I don't want to, this is hard for me, but I understand submission and obedience is the way. It's the only way. Submission and obedience. Philippians 2.6 says this, he who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, here's the key, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Again, what do we see here in this? Submission and obedience. 
How do we overcome this dysfunction? We gotta be a people who say, God, your way, not my way. I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna continue to be obedient, be obedient, be obedient. You say, why does it matter, pastor? Why does it matter? Well, because God created you to be free. This bully of dysfunction that continues to hinder and set itself up against you, whether it be your thought life or behaviors or actions or things that you're taking, it's not your cross to bear. That's the old saying, oh, it's just my cross to bear. It's not. His burden is easy, right? Like he's already taken this from us. We just got to be a people who say, okay, God, your way, not my way. Oh, what I love about this story is it said like he went angry, right? He went just like in a rage, but he still went obediently. I believe there's times that God's calling you into things, obedience and submissions, and you're walking towards what he has for you. And you're like, I don't like this. I actually hate this. I'm frustrated with this, but I'm going to go obediently anyway. And God still did the miracle in his life. So I'm just here to tell you, like, press into that. Let's defeat these dysfunctions and these bullies that are setting themselves up against you generation. Is it going to hurt? Is it going to stretch you? Is it going to be painful? Yeah, all of those things. But let's break it for the next generation. Amen. What does that look like practically? Well, maybe for you, it's counseling. Oh, pastor, I'll never see a therapist. Well, you're never going to get free. People say all the time, pastor, I'll never go to a counselor. I don't need that. I don't listen. People that are functioning at the highest level, Fortune 500 companies, celebrities, athletes, all this stuff, they all have therapists in their life. Why? They don't know it, but it's because it's biblical. You got to get around wise counsel. Get someone in that can help you see your blind spots, right? Someone get in and say, hey, let's, let's overcome this dysfunction. Here's something I see here, and here's something I see here, and let's find our freedom. Amen? It's also what the church is called to do. We get to come in together, and, and you get in a group, and you get people in your life, just like naming servants. And you get someone in your life that you go, um, hey, can I challenge you on something? You probably need to adjust this and change this and do, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's not going to happen overnight. Many of you right now are, are, are presented with the, chan- the opportunity to leave right now and do nothing. You're like that man who looks in the mirror, forgets what he looks like. Right now you're presented and, hey, I heard that sermon and he, he waved his hand over me and all my spots are gone. It's not true. You gotta go home, you gotta take these truths, you gotta apply them, you gotta find the ways that these dysfunctional bullies are coming in and messing with you. Yeah. Amen? Maybe there's some fools that are your companions and it's time to break up with them. You don't, gotta be, you don't gotta be evil to them. You just gotta say, hey, that right there, I can't run with those companions anymore. Amen. And say, pastor, I need some wise counsel. I need some people. We'll get you connected with people that can help. Yeah. But don't leave here the same. Let's go get some change and defeat these bullies of dysfunction. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful that we're not meant to do it alone. We're not left here all by ourselves to try to figure it out and wonder. But instead, God, you've given us a plan. You've given us your word, your truth, your way. Lord, I thank you that you've sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper, our guide, who is power. We're not at a disadvantage, but God, your word promises us that we can be the head. We're the head and not the tail. So though this challenge of maybe moving out of some of these dysfunctional lifestyles even though it may seem overwhelming, God, you give us the power and the ability to do it. God, I pray that you give us the boldness to be submitted and obedient. God, I pray that you give us the ability to find faith-filled friends that will do it with us. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.